Steelers, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Now, here's your host, Davey Siegel. Hey, welcome back, party people. What's up? It's the place everybody wants to be. You know it. It's Victory Lane. Tons to talk about with the greatest day in motorsports behind us. Memorial Day weekend, we had F1 in Monaco. We had IndyCar in Indianapolis. We had NASCAR in Charlotte. And we're actually going to bring my dad on to chat about it all. We'll also preview Pocono and Memphis briefly. The K&M Pro Series East back in action there. I will be on site. Probably going to be hot and muggy, but I'll have some barbecue in my system from the day before. It should be fun, a doozy, super scintillatingly sensational. Go ahead, Daryl Waltrip. Buggity, buggity, buggity. Let's go racing, boys. Like I mentioned, guys, the greatest day in motorsports. I broke it all down with Papa Siegel after the fact, so I will throw it to that conversation that I had with Pops. All right, Dad, thank you for joining me tonight on the couch. You look like... uh, The red light is on. You look like one of those paint-me-like-your-French girls right now. Uh, Wish you hadn't said that. I wish you wouldn't in the position. All right, transition. So I told you before I wanted to to record like a 10-minute mini episode series after each race we saw this past sunday but i forgot my bad hand up but that's nothing we can't fix so we watched all three races we watched monaco in the morning indy in the afternoon charlotte at night let's start in the morning yeah, we did let's start in the morning uh we woke up what 8 30 8 30 on the grid right 8 30 on the grid uh by the way can we talk about for a second the sky sports broadcast how it yeah. just blows Fox out of the water. Yeah, they know how to do it well. Yeah. I might be a little biased because I'm an NBC employee, but I think Sky is also better than any American broadcast in terms of sports right now. Yeah, and but it's sort of pitiful that we have to rely on Sky for our Formula One coverage because no American network stepping up to the plate. Yeah, I agree with that, but... At the same time, I'm glad we have Sky because they're the best of the best. So we wake up 8.30. We're on the grid. We're watching all the celebrities, the glitz and the glamour of Monaco. Uh, I'm like half asleep. But once once it went lights out and away we go, I woke up. And Lewis Hamilton started from the pole, led into turn one, cleared his teammate, and that was all and she the wrote. the race was over. That's, that's all she wrote. <laughs> it's kind of how things go in F1 though, right? Well, especially on a street circuit like Monaco where – it's impossible to pass. Everyone who tried to make a pass, they, they wrecked pretty much. So that's sort of how it is. What do you think of Max Verstappen and his kind of, I guess, youthful exuberance and brashness behind the wheel? Because it, it's kind of applauded in American circles, especially in NASCAR, but in F1 where there's more politicking going on and you know you get penalized for blocking and unsafe releases like he did and things of that nature, it's not really as respected or renowned over there yeah well i mean the penalty he got for the unsafe release was a good call i agree but there is a lot of inconsistency in politicking right i mean last year or the year before danny kafiat was doing the same thing he got booted out of the team got sent down but meanwhile verstappen because his dad 
was a big star mm-hmm. in the big time. I think they take, you know, he gets a pass. I mean, think about Vettel. When Vettel was on, uh, I guess it was Red Bull, mm-hmm. teamed with, um, it was a Coulthard or, or Button. And, you know, I want to say Coulthard, yeah. Right, he just would ignore team orders all the Weber? time. It was Weber. It was Weber thank yeah. you, you're right. And he would just, like, ignore team orders and just get away with it where, you know, you're going to be consistent about this. You should apply it to everybody, but it doesn't really happen that way. Yeah, I think also, I mean, you can't really give Danny Kofiat, um, I guess, the short end of the stick because if, if he's with Red Bull at that time, he's obviously in some of the best equipment. Max is with some of the best equipment right now, and he's obviously not on par with Ferrari or Mercedes, but he kind of was towards the end of the race, which is what I want to talk to you about. Mercedes yeah. kept You, you realize, of course, your, your, your listeners now are like, what the hell are these these guys talking about? Well, we got to talk about it. we're 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 gonna go light on F one and heavier on IndyCar and okay. NASCAR. But so we'll wrap it up here. So I'm going to the end. This is called a transition in the biz, Dad. Segway. So uh, Mercedes keeps Lewis out on medium tires, which I was still kind of asleep at this point, so I wasn't really following along too diligently. But in the end, they they said that that was the mistake, that was the wrong call, and Max, even though he had his five second penalty was trying furiously to get by him, but since Monaco's so tight, close quarters racing on the street circuits, he couldn't do it. He tried to make a lunge coming out of the tunnel into the chicane. They touched wheels, but he couldn't get by. Lewis ended up winning the race. What did you think of what did you think of the ending of that race and Mercedes strategy? Uh, well clearly it was the wrong move. I thought it was entertaining during the race. They kept cutting to Lewis's onboard radio, complaining about the tires and Guys, what are we doing? I don't think this is the right thing. Just waiting for his crew to just say, Lewis, shut up. You're yeah. in the lead. No one's going to be yeah. able to get past you. When you're Lewis, you, I mean, you can complain all you want. You're not going to get reprimanded for that. But I, I agree. Uh, there's a lot of complaints. I like. I love the radio transmission in F1, though. It, maybe more so than NASCAR because it's a little clearer. You can kind of understand things. Right, it's digital. It's not yeah. analog, so it's yeah. better signal. But you told me that a while ago that the reason NASCAR doesn't go to digital is because if they did, then the fans couldn't listen in. Right. Yeah. Or they'd have to pay big dollars. Yeah, I, and I don't want that. Access codes. So Lewis Hamilton wins in Monaco in the morning. That race ends probably around 10, 15, 10.30-ish maybe. Yeah, yeah. And then we get a little break. We have some breakfast. Thanks to mom for making us some beautiful mozzarella. Delicious. Thank you. Uh, and then we start watching Indy 500 pre-race. NBC had the broadcast for the first time. What, how do you think NBC did covering the greatest spectacle in racing? Um, I think for their first time out of the box, it was a respectable performance. They had some. They had some. Uh, they had a couple audio. They had troubles. some audio problems in the beginning, but I thought their setup for the for the broadcast was better than the ABC ESPN setup that we've I agree. had for the last few years. Star power, too. They got Dale Jr. You had Danica. Yeah, Danica Lee was Diffie's great. Townsend Bell and Paul Tracer are very respected, too. I think, And the lead-up to it, I think, is kind of like 75% of the battle, getting those casual fans interested in the month of May leading up, and I think they crushed it. Yeah, I, 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 w- I would have liked to have seen more Rutledge and Dale Jr. Yeah. In the beginning. In the snake pit. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. but So so that was the broadcast side of it. The racing itself, Simon Pagano, as you guys know, wins the race. First driver from the pole to win it since 2009. I believe Scott Dixon or Dario Franchitti won that year. Don't remember. But we went in 2008. Yeah. So that was fun. I remember Scott Dixon won that year. Yeah, we got to go again. Yeah, we do. Um, 
and I'm I'm obviously a NASCAR guy first and foremost, but the the whole month leading up to Indy and the race itself, and you guys probably saw my segment on DC Sports Live with NBC Sports Washington, but just the tradition that goes along with it. Like I like we can name it all day. You got back home in Indiana, military members playing taps. I thought I could have gave a good performance of that in the morning. You did. You did. You're no Jim Neighbors and I'm you're no Jim, Jim Cornelison, but you did never, well. We'll never be Jim Neighbors. You got back home again in Indiana, military members playing taps, God bless America, uh, the national anthem, the driver introductions with the three by three onto the stage. You got the balloons, you got start your engines while the drivers are in yes. the cars, visors down, and then you got a unique start. And you got a quarter of a million by- people exactly plus the snake pit going wild and then you got three by three 11 rows deep however many horsepower those cars are yeah and we were listening to the tony kornheiser show we obviously do that and i don't know if you listened to today's episode which is wednesday um or maybe it was tuesdays i forget but david aldridge said that there's nothing like the sound when they're coming to the green flag and they cross the yard of bricks and you just hear all of those cars in unison yeah. whizzing by you. Well, don't you remember? I mean, I remember what I'm saying yeah. is I, I, I kind of lost the, for some reason, I think Indy lost its luster in the past decade or so. Sure. It's still struggling to get back. I mean, we've talked about how when I was growing up and you know, there wasn't this split in the league and all the great drivers all were at Indy and it was, I mean, it really was the greatest spectacle in racing. Yeah. And when CART split off from the IndyCar League and all the years that they were split, that was great for NASCAR. It gave NASCAR the impetus to grow the way it did, but Indy's never really recovered. I thought this year's race was pretty good. They I got, think it was great. They got really lucky with the weather. Everybody was... Vortex theory. Everybody was talking gloom and doom about the weather, but the weather was beautiful. The crowd was... Crammed Insane, into yeah. the speedway. I don't and, think it was a complete sellout, but ninety-five percent. Yeah, and it was it was a, it was a good race. It, it was really was. It really was. And you might say on paper, okay, well the pole setter leads one hundred and thirteen laps, and he wins, so it's not that entertaining. But that that did not tell the story of it because yeah, you had Pagano out front, but you had Ed Carpenter running second for most of the race, who was burning less fuel than Pagano, so that created some intrigue in terms of fuel strategy, right? You had Alexander Rossi, who was the fastest car all day long, by and maniac. large, who was a maniac, um, who ended up having some troubles of his own with the pit stop. The fuel would not get lodged inside of the, the, the fuel cell. So that pit stop wound up being over 20 seconds, which in IndyCar land is an eternity. And then you had him running back through the field like a madman, trying to get past lap cars yeah, the, the of Oriol Servio. Crazy, yeah. And he literally, going 230 down the front stretch, waves his hand out the cockpit, I don't know if he flicked them off or not. He should have. And he completes the pass into turn one. He was right. a well, Not just that. I mean, they were like running. They were running like two a, inches a, a, off the against inside the wall. retaining wall. Yeah. I mean, that's crazy. Yeah. And and the fact that it was a lap car, too. And he talked about, you know, what did he need at the end? And he basically just said in a word horsepower. But then he also talked about how it's kind of ridiculous that the lap cars gave the, the leaders no respect in the biggest race in the entire world, which I I agree with. Um, but the, Alexander Rossi put on a show, so he has the lead with two laps to go for Andretti. And Pagano, him and Pagano were trading the lead with five laps to go down the back stretch, getting some slingshots here and there. Uh, but Pagano ended up timing it well, going into turn three, got the lead, cleared him, and was able to hold off Rossi for the last uh, two and a half, two and three quarters or so miles and win his first Indy 500, the 18th for Team Penske. 
I know you've seen a fair share, but that's what thirteen more than the next most team. That's something like that. And it was that's a, ridiculous. It was a clean sweep for him this month. He won the pole, yep. won Indy, and he won the Grand Prix race mm-hmm. uh, via you know the infield race there. Right. So good, good for him. And I think, I think uh, he got rewarded with a new contract. Did he? Yeah, I think they said the day after Penske signed him to an extension. Oh, I didn't see that, but that I, w- I would probably say well deserved for yeah. sure. It's one of those like, and we'll transition to NASCAR here in a minute. Stay tuned for details on that next week. Yeah, I guess so. But it, it's one of those things where you know Denny Hamlin may may or may not have been on the hot seat for next year, but coming into this year, he was kind of on the hot seat at Joe Gibbs Racing with Christopher Bell waiting in the wings in Xfinity because Denny didn't really perform last year. But you come out of the gates, you win a Daytona 500, so you're probably locked in. Then you follow that up, and you win in Texas as well. So you can't get rid of Denny with two wins under his belt before the halfway point of the season, who, oh, by the way, also has the one remaining 36-race partnership sponsorship deal left in the sport in FedEx. So you're not going to get rid of him. But I kind of feel like Pagano was maybe getting to that spot. Is that true, really? He's the only one? Well, now I guess uh, that's wrong because now Ally Financial partnered back with Jimmy. But Lowe's did not have the 36-race deal towards the end of their partnership because they were huh. with Cobalt. And now FedEx and Ally Financial have the last one. That's there used to be Home Depot. There used to be Interstate. Yeah, Planet yeah. Well, they all were like that. Yeah, but now they're all, all different. I back, mean, Ke- back, Kevin's got Jimmy back, John's Back when my boy Mobile. Dale dr- drove the truck. Yeah, yeah. Dad's a Dale Jarrett fan, for those of you that don't know. But if you're an OG, this is not his first appearance. He was on Victory Lane 1.0 towards its end when I was wrapping up school at Michigan State. Yes. Um, so that was the Indy 500. I think that was probably, I, I would say, just the pomp and circumstance that surrounds it. I would say that's probably the best race that of the, the day. That was the best race of the day, yeah. for sure. Um, like we, got two, well, we got all 200 laps in, which I was very pleasantly surprised about with the yeah. rain that was um, you know, around Speedway, Indiana. I really want to go next year. I don't know if I'll go as a fan or, I'll, or if I'll go in the snake pit or if I'll go and cover it as a media member, but... I think I gotta. I think I gotta make that pilgrimage next year because there's, like I said, I feel like it kind of lost its luster in the past decade or so, but the past year, year and a half, IndyCar has, IndyCar as a whole has kind of had this revival with a new influx of young talent, Colton Herta among them, with Steinbrenner, Harding Steinbrenner Racing, and there's a lot of good things going on behind the scenes in terms of management with IndyCar and Jay Fry who came over from NASCAR and. They're going to introduce, I don't know what it's called, but essentially a, a makeshift halo that Formula One cars have for Indy cars, which is going to probably bring more manufacturers into the sport because right now they only have Honda and Chevy, more drivers into the sport, possibly doing one-offs with the Indianapolis 500. Like Jimmy Johnson said that he's wanted to do it for a long time, but until they put some sort of head covering over the cars, he's not he, Well, Tony he can't Stewart do it. was even talking about next year coming back. That'd be great. I would love to see that. And can someone please give Fernando Alonso yeah. <laughs> a car and a pit crew who knows what the hell? Well, can doing? somebody give Fernando um, a slap in the face and tell him to leave McLaren because that's just—I know—it's—it's it's ridiculous, crazy. We didn't even talk about that. Obviously, he didn't make the race, but it's a shame that a well, world. Thank God for like Indy. Him. I mean, the fact that they had such a good race, people were talking about the race, not talking about Fernando not being Fernando in not being there. Yeah, that's true. All right, so that that's Indy, that's Monaco. Let's talk about Charlotte at night, the Coca-Cola 600. That went green around 6.13 p.m., if my memory serves correctly. I didn't watch the first stage with you. I was at a buddy's house uh, enjoying Memorial Day with some barbecue and some brewskis. But um, that was surprisingly 
a very entertaining race as well because when you think of the Coke 600, you think of a long ass race. And like I like I say, yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know, but what I'm saying is, like you you always think, damn, that's a long race. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, 600 miles, it'll take four hours, whatever. But this one was long. Like t- time wise, it was just even, damn even long. You, you were getting ready to fall asleep. Yeah, by I, the I end. Mean, well, when you watch 1,268 miles of racing in a day, it kind of takes a toll on you. Sitting on the couch and doing nothing is very tiring, as you know. Well, it was great, though. Yeah, it was good. Uh, Best day of the year. Always. So the Coke 600, it was surprisingly entertaining, if we're being honest. I think the new Aero package for this year played into that. Um, Hate it. Yeah, I, I'm not I'm not a huge fan. And I think Jeff Gluck said this, too. It's, like, it's weird to think about, but Xfinity cars are – harder to drive than cup cars which is kind of crazy to think about but it's true wouldn't you agree because absolutely put take the take the damn spoilers off the back let the cars be loose and tight and running all over the place in the corners right now they got so much downforce on these cars they're just running them wide open through the corners and down the straights everybody sucks up to everybody else because it's like there's a big parachute behind the cars you know Come on, put the put the cars back in control of the drivers. Is that your old man rant for the episode? I guess so. Thank okay. you. So I agree with you to a certain extent. I agree that I mean it was good in Kansas, but that's the only yeah, track that it's been good at. I well I think I think this race is also good given the if you look at it as a whole from like a thirty thousand foot view, because six hundred miles, four hundred laps around Charlotte, which let's face it, has not been the best track action wise in the past half decade or so. But the all-star race last year was very good. And that was the debut of the package we have now. The all-star race this year, which was a different package, was also very good. The open was insane. And I get I get that it's a different format. There's different things on the line, circumstantial, whatever. But there was a lot of different there's a lot of different storylines and plots throughout the six hundred miles. You had you had multiple tire failures by all the Toyota cars, Joe Gibbs Racing in particular. Yeah. And I think that came out because Goodyear was actually telling them, you know, hike up the air pressures more or lower the air pressure a little bit more. That's why your tires are blowing. So lo and behold, they did that and the tires were fine. So I you think had, it, was a, it was a combination of those cars starting on too low air pressure, but also I think they were monkeying around with a camber. Yeah. On the car, so yeah, yeah, the tires were just blowing. So you had the tire the tire fiasco that was kind of going on in stage one and two. Eric Jones hit the wall. He finished last. Yeah. Matthew Benedetto hit the wall. The race 40, winner, Mark. 42. Yeah, got into it. that was later, but the 19 of Truex, who ended up winning the race, he hit the wall. He hit the wall. He thought he was done. Two, he thought he was done. And Cole Perrin said after the race, I don't know if you saw this, he said, if we hit the wall 20 feet earlier, if that tire blew 20 feet earlier, our night would have been we're over. Done, yeah. They just hit the wall in a, an okay spot that the damage wasn't too internal and detrimental, so it was more so cosmetic. They were able to fix it and get back up to the front. We'll touch on him, but I, I tweeted this after the race, too. There was just a lot of things going on because you had the tire issues. You had comers and goers because it was 600 miles. We follow Kevin Harvick closely in this household, and he all, all year it's kind of been indicative of his year. You unload okay. Um, you would in the weekend you unload okay you start the race pretty fast you're a little slow to adjust throughout the race and then when it comes to the end you're just missing that little bit and you're running around sixth seventh or eighth place and you're not really contending for the win yep yep having a hard time keeping up with the track they just they totally lost 
the handle on the car towards the end. And after the race, he was, you know, blaming stuff like, oh, the, you know, we got a chip set on the tires. That's like, a Rodney yeah, Childers a mismatch saying, yeah. set of tires. But come on. They just, they were slow to adjust. And it yeah. wasn't until the very end that they were like taking Packers out of the car and throwing eight rounds of wedge in it to finally it worked free it up. Bit, it yeah. finally worked. But by then, you know, that that's when you need to be fine-tuning on the car, not taking huge, you know, huge stabs at it. And Stuart Haas Racing as a whole has been a little slow to adjust as well. So I don't think it's a problem just unique to the four camp. I think I think Stuart Haas as a whole, I won't say four because Penske's been killing the game, obviously. Keselowski has three wins. Logano has one or two, I forget. But right. I tell you, if you're, you know, take a long view. I'd rather, I'd rather they be doing what they're doing now. Think about what's happened the last couple of years. Start the season slow, got to catch up to it. I'd rather that they get hot and catch fire later than like what they did last yeah. year where, you know, he was winning every week and then everyone caught up to him and they were yeah. sort of behind at the end. Well, look at last year's champ, Joey Logano. He didn't win his first race of the year until Talladega, which we had a few weeks back, but he didn't win his first race until then. Yeah. And he was he was at his best in the last 3 weeks of the season, and that's obviously when it counts in this format as long as you're as long as like we say with March Madness, if you're in the dance, you got a chance. So as long as Stuart House can get their you know what together come playoff time because even if Kevin Harvick does not win a race in the regular season, which, by the way, I don't think will happen. I think he'll win a race, at least one. He's going to be in the playoffs, unless something catastrophic happens. Oh, yeah. He's like, what, 176 yeah. points clear yeah. or and something? I th- and I think Boyer will be there, too. You know, maybe even Suarez and Almirola is running pretty well, too. So They'll get it. Yeah, they'll get it. It's just about timing with them. But let's get back to the race. Yeah. Um, so you had a lot of comers and goers. You had um, tire strategy. Brad Keselowski ends up winning stages one and two. Um, and then you had a, you had a ton, ton of cautions, which we have not seen with this package at mile and a half tracks. I think in total, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think there was one or two naturally occurring cautions for multi-car crashes at mile and a half tracks leading up into this race. And I think in this race alone, there was at least two or three, Yeah, which I don't know if that's a product of. 600 miles there being more opportunity for people to mess up or if that was a a product of people actually just saying all right let's get after it here a little bit you know this is this got to be a good show i don't know what it was but i was entertained let's talk about the package again i mean we had some cars that were having problems with their tires that contributed to some but we saw throughout the weekend including in the practices where you know that huge spoiler in the back a car gets near the other car, it's taking the air off of mm-hmm. the front end of the trailing car, and the guys are having a hard time figuring out the zone to, to safely side draft yeah. with this package. Some of them are just completely losing the front of their car and wrecking. And you said side draft there, so let's fast forward to the end of the race. Martin Truex Jr. ends up restarting in third behind Ryan Newman and David Reagan, who were on the front row. They stayed out. So he's restarting third on the inside. Kyle Busch is fourth on the outside. So Kyle gets the better restart because he was behind the car that I believe was a control car, which was David Reagan. So he restarts third. He ends up going three wide out of turn two. Right, but wait, before you get there, did you see what 
as they were coming to the restart there. Yeah, Truex wanted the 38 to he lay wanted, over. He wanted him to like lay over. He's, he's, yeah, that's, he's like, that's I'm, I'm leaving the race. What are you talking yeah. about? And that's that's another thing I'm going to ask you briefly after we get to the end about Truex. But so Kyle gets three wide exiting turn two, going down the backstretch. And you mentioned the, the side drafting and the spoilers and how it takes the air off. So we saw in any in any racing series at all, when two cars get side by side, they're going to slow down. In NASCAR with the full full bodied heavy stock cars, that's going to accentuate that even more. And with this rules package, you can double that at least. So that's with two cars next to each other. With three cars next to each other, <laughs> that adds thirty five hundred more pounds of stock car next to one another. That adds a thousands of more pounds of downforce that is gone or arrow whatever you know what I'm trying to say, and then. Truex comes out of nowhere, goes four wide on the inside, makes it stick, clears all three guys, and then he motors on to his third victory of the season, second Coke 600 in a row, not in a row, in the past four years. It was a pretty impressive performance, so let's hear for what Martin Truex Jr. had to say about his night as a whole. Well, it was, a, it was definitely a tough race. Um, you know, it was a heck of a battle. You know, I thought early on in the race we uh, we were really strong, obviously, and Felt like running away with that first stage and, you know, 75 laps in or something like that. I, I, we were kind of checking out and then just blew right front tire out of nowhere and hit the fence and thought, oh, man, this, you know, felt like our race was going to be over at that point. You know, I hit the wall pretty good and had a lot of damage and had tire rubs and all that. And just, uh, <clears throat> you know, never gave up on it, kept working and kept fighting. And, you know, by like lap 250 or so, we got it, we got it dialed back into where it was pretty good. And, uh, Pretty amazing, really. I mean, you know, to see the car after the race, it looks like we raced the damn thing in Martinsville. So, um, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I'm just kind of amazed. I'm kind of speechless. But, uh, you know, thanks to my team, they did a great job. We uh, we just never gave up on it, and we kept working and kept tweaking. And, you know, the last, uh, you know, 100, 150 laps, was, it was really good. So just thankful for all of them for the hard work. And uh, we, got a, we got an awesome race team. And, you know, now that we uh, we got some momentum here and a little confidence on a mile and a half, that's uh, that's a sh- you know a really good sign for us moving forward. So just uh, overall a really good week for us, and uh, you know I felt good going into the race, and it's nice to you know kind of back that up. So feels good and uh, pretty awesome weekend to win. I think even though he hit the wall, and even though it took him a while on that restart at least a couple turns to get back up to the front, I still think the fastest car won. Yeah, at the end, the fast he wasn't the fastest car to begin the race, but they kept adjusting on the car. They had their little accident. Cole Pern and the guys, they tuned yep. on it. They got it going. Yeah, at the end, he was the best car. Yeah, speaking of Cole Pern, let's hear from him. He 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 kind of admitted this was not an easy night. Um and he also admitted that, you know, the damage when he saw it, he didn't think it was that bad and he was just feeling pretty lucky that it didn't happen 20 laps earlier. I guess it looks doable now, but you know, at the time it was, uh, yeah, not good. We, uh, you know, we sustained quite a bit of damage there and, and, uh, you know, we're really fortunate enough that we blew the tire we did and, you know, 20 feet earlier in the corner, we would have knocked the fence down and probably would have been out of the race. So, uh, you know, I, I think, uh, we were just felt really fortunate to still be in the race at that point. And then, uh, you know, really had to, had to work on it a lot. Um, it wasn't, uh, wasn't very good, you know, for, from being as good as it was until when we blew the tire to uh, to afterwards, we uh, I don't think we've had to make as many adjustments as we had to make on it. Um, that car tonight was uh, it was crazy, um, and then we finally finally got on the other side of it, and then we're able to kind of keep up with it the rest of the night. But uh, you know, looking at it in victory lane after the race, I mean, it looked like we uh, got done racing at Martinsville. So 
you know, as much time as we spend, you know, tuning the bodies on these things and, and getting them have dynamically perfect, it was uh, it was crazy to see the car uh, be that good um, and be that banged up. So, Dad, on social media, which I know you're a very uh, adamant user very, of. Very active. Yes. Um, I, I've been seeing a lot of hate of Martin Truex Jr., which is kind of a very stark contrast from what we saw at the end of 2018 or 2017 when he won the championship. His career kind of comes full circle. He's kicked out of MWR. He's, he's the long shot with Furniture Row. The, you know, the storybook ending with the championship with his longtime girlfriend who's battled cancer on and off, that whole thing. But I can see where people are hating on him because he's becoming that kind of guy that expects everybody to lay over for him. Like, when people race him hard, he gets on the radio. He's like, oh, what's this guy doing? He's like, oh, Clayton, get him out of my way. And like you said, they were asking the 38, who is leading, leading the race. Leading the race. I get he's the 38. He's a front-row motorsports car. I get that. Leading the You're race. Leading the race with 10 or whatever laps to go. And it's not like that car was running 30th all day. They were in the top 15, which is uncharacteristic of them. They're not going to roll over. So I, I see where the hate is kind of coming his way in terms of him being the crybaby, expecting everybody to roll over for him. Drivers have been critical of it too, basically saying, yeah, he just expects everything to be handed of him. I know you don't see that kind of hate on social media, but have you kind of seen that, you know, listening to Radioactive and seeing how things transpired during the races? Do you kind of see where they're coming from? I I understand why the why they're complaining about it. I guess, what, it doesn't hurt to ask. I don't think he seriously thought that he would. Um I guess you don't, you know, no chance until you ask. I just, I thought the whole thing was sort of funny. I'm not hating on him for it, but just, dude, you can't be serious. Yeah, honestly. And I don't think he really was serious. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, who knows? At that point, I get you're going to try to do everything that you can to put yourself in the best position. Sometimes you just got to tighten your belt and nut up and just do it. If I was his spotter, he was like, go talk to the thing. I would have been like, no. What? (laughs) What? Yeah, no, no. Not doing that. Um, all right, so let's wrap it up, Dad. Uh, like we mentioned, Monaco, very, you know, it was a fine race. Lewis just led from the pole the entire time. We kind of expected that. Indy, great race. And Coke 600 overall, it was a very entertaining race. Again, social media, I know you're very uh, involved with this. But Jeff Gluck does a was it a good race poll every single week, and he has for the past few years. And this race. I know who he is. Yes. This race got rated 86% people said, yes, this was a good race which I believe ranks it in the top. It might have been the best mile-and-a-half race uh, in the past year or so, which is very surprising considering a Coke 600 could be a sleeper or it could be very entertaining. So hmm. I don't know about you. The day as a whole, top-notch. Day as a whole, great. Had no weather issues at any of the three. Mm-hmm. And that's always a thing. I mean, the, the chances of getting all three races in different parts of the Full world. Full distance completed. In different parts of the country on time. Full distance, yeah. that doesn't happen all that often. So that was great in and of itself. The racing was good. I don't know that I would say the Charlotte race was the best so far. I mean, I still I thought the Kansas race was a better race and was better racing yeah. than what we saw at Charlotte, but absolutely entertaining. Um, I don't know. I, the other thing I saw, there's been sort of mixed reviews of you know when they stop the cars middle of the race to pay tribute mm-hmm. for Memorial Day, I thought that was great. I don't know that I would have done that in the middle 
of the race though. I mean, that's sort of what you do. Yeah. There was two sides of that coin. People were saying, well, didn't we just do this whole thing pre-race, which is true, but also it's, it's nice to recognize it during the race. But at the same time, I, I don't think it was necessary, but I don't think that it was a bad thing. Yeah. You know, no, nothing bad happened as a result of it, but you take sort of a risk on that. I mean, the cars have been going and you shut them off on pit road. Yeah. run the chance that someone's going to vapor lock their engine and it's not going to start up again. I don't know if I was a crew chief, I'd probably be worried, worried about that, but it worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's for a good cause. Obviously Memorial day is, is uh, a big holiday for a reason, not really a holiday, but you guys know what I mean. So I get, I I get why they did it. I'm in favor of it. I'm cool with it. I mean, I'm not like overly enthusiastic, like, Oh, you got to do this every year. It, It was a cool thing. I don't think they should do it every year, maybe not do it next year, but I think the pomp and circumstance before the race is fine, but I enjoyed that. Uh, I enjoyed this conversation. Thank you, Dad, for joining me. We will have you on again sometime soon, maybe when I just run out of guests to talk to that are drivers or media members or anywhere in between. I'll just I'll hit you up, and you'll, you'll sit like a French lady being painted on the couch. You got my number. Yes, I do. Thank you. Thanks to my dad for joining me on Victory Lane, episode 13. Should do that some more, like I mentioned there at the end. Maybe whenever I run out of guests, like actual guests, I'll just bring him on. Let's look ahead to Pocono and Memphis, 2.5-mile tricky triangle located in Long Pond, Pennsylvania. Kyle Busch is the defending winner of that event from last year. Hopefully the rain holds off. There's around a 40% chance of rain in the afternoon on Sunday, last time I checked. And it's kind of one of those things that whenever NASCAR comes to Pocono, it always rains, like no matter what. So cross your fingers for that. We shall see. Let's talk about Memphis, though. It's a it's a three-quarter mile short track in Tennessee, Millington, Tennessee, if we're being particular. Ruben Garcia Jr., who was one of the favorites preseason for the K&M Pro Series East title, he won this race last season for his first career win in K&N. Uh, some storylines coming in. Parker Retzlaff, he's making his series debut for Visconti Motorsports in the number 74 car, bringing some sponsorship in Ponzi. Uh, Brandon McReynolds, we've talked at length um, on NASCAR Home Tracks and here on this podcast about John Visconti III and what Brandon's schedule is and what they can and can't really do in terms of commitment-wise. But they're bringing Parker into the fold, and they hope that they can kind of keep him in the fold for years to come. There's an article on that on NASCARHometracks.com. Be sure to check that out. Todd Gillen. He is back in the number 19 car for Bill McAnally Racing. He's subbing for Haley Deegan because she is in Pocono racing for Venturini Motorsports in the Arca Menard Series. But that's interesting because Todd, obviously his dad, David Gillen, heads up DGR Crosley Racing. And Todd's been racing for DGR in K&N and in trucks uh, every now and then. He's racing for KBM, but Arca, I should say. But he's back with BMR. It's kind of a reunion. He won two championships out west with BMR, a ton of races, And they're kind of the team that gave Todd his shot and made him who he is. So I talked to him about it. McAnally had a quote as well. Uh, There's a story online with that. And as I'm recording this on Thursday afternoon, I'm going to be hosting an Instagram Live with Todd on the NASCAR Home Tracks Instagram at 8 o'clock p.m. Thursday evening. So you're probably listening to this after the fact. But if for some reason you're listening to it before, check it out. And if you're listening to it after, it's probably archived on on the Instagram page. So check that out. Otherwise, usual suspects are going to be in Memphis. Max McLaughlin, a rookie. Chase Cabry, race at Memphis a couple times. Ruben, like I mentioned. Ty Gibbs, making his second career start for DGR, and he announced six more races earlier on this week. 
Tanner Gray making his first trip to Memphis, Colin Garrett his second trip, etc., etc. There's going to be breaks at or around laps 50 and 100, so it's going to be a three-segment race at Memphis. It's a nice track. I went there a couple years back. Last year, I was in Europe, so I did not go to this race. It's going to be hot. It's going to be very, very hot. I'm going to try not to be full of barbecue and liquid courage from the night before. I'm going to hang out with my friend Dina. should be fun. Uh, but yeah, Memphis is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to that. And also another thing I got to mention, come on, you Spurs. Yes. Tottenham Hotspur. I'm going to do this whole segment in a British accent. You ready? Tottenham Hotspur football club playing in the Champions League final against Liverpool FC on Saturday, June 1st, not on NBCSN, but rather on TNT, maybe on a regional network or a national network. The final is in Madrid, Spain. My mate, Nicholas Wright, is on site for reporting from Tottenham Hotspur. Harry's going to be fit. Delhi's going to get in there. Hugo Stonewall, Jackson Arise is going to make some great saving between the nets, between the pipes. Come on, you Spurs! Get in there. We've got Mauricio Pochettino. He's magic, you know. Mauricio Pochettino. Come on, you Spurs! Now that my British accent is over, Lock Nuts of the Week! Cue the music. The Ryan Blaney Foundation has been named winner of the first quarter National Motorsports Press Association's Pocono Spirit Award. God, that's a mouthful. He is being recognized for commissioning Gateway Bronco in Hamill, Illinois to build a one-of-a-kind 1974 Bronco. It's going to be sold at Barrett-Jackson's 2020 auction in Arizona to support the Alzheimer's Association. So good on YRB for that. Roush Fenway Racing announced NOS Energy Drink as the primary sponsor for Ricky Stenhouse Jr. in the Michigan race next weekend as an associate sponsor for the rest of the season on the 17 Ford. Penalty news, Todd Gordon and Brian Paddy, crew chiefs for the 22 of Joey Logano and the 17 of Ricky Stenhouse, were fined $10,000 each for loose lug nuts in Charlotte. And the last bit of lug nut, Ryan Newman throwback is Oscar Mayer Wiener, the Wiener Mobile, and it's a throwback to Mark Martin's 1993 paint scheme, but it also is reminiscent of some old Toyota paint schemes back in the 80s and 90s, so stay woke on that. That'll wrap things up. For episode 13, hopefully it was lucky for you, of Victory Lane 2.0. Please do me a favor, guys. I know it sounds trivial, and I tell you every week, give this podcast a rating, review it. Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Google Podcasts, whatever it's called. Spotify, we are also on SoundCloud. I really do appreciate all the love and support that you guys are showing me. Um, You know, Hopefully, we'll get some better numbers going up. We'll get some more guests as I head to the racetrack the next couple weeks. It's just a timing thing with getting these interviews, but I'm going to try my best for you guys. There's been some stuff going on behind the scenes in the works in terms of my life. Um, so, you know, can't share that can't share that kind of stuff with you guys yet. Hopefully, I will be able to soon if anything comes of it. But cross your fingers for me, people. Uh, peace and love as always. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you all in Memphis, and we'll be back to recap the action at the Tricky Triangle and in Tennessee.